You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 232. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a busy show planned for you this week as we prepare for our fall 2023 DIY stock investing webinars. Tickets are now on sale and going fast. Do not miss out on this event. Our star of the week was actually recommended last year at our fall webinars. And it should be no stranger to clients. It's been in our Canadian small cap focused by portfolio for quite some time. The company, Hammond Power, symbol HPS on the TSX is a manufacturer of dry type transformers, power quality products, and related magnetics. Last week, the company announced strong Q3 growth and a record backlog, sending the stock nearly 20% higher once again. Hammond Power is now up 244% year-to-date and over 11,800% since our original recommendation. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, Aaron starts with a look at another company that needs no introduction, McDonald's Corporation, symbol MCD on the New York Stock Exchange. The company released solid Q3 results just today and increased its dividend nearly 10, or 10%. Aaron lets you know whether Mickey D's is today, where they are today on a valuation basis. Brennan takes a look at Mark Cuban, well-known for being an investor and TV personality on Shark Tank, and he's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. His net worth is $4.6 billion. Brennan will let you know how he began and how he got to where he is today. Finally, Brett answers a viewer question on Reclaim, symbol MYID on the TSX Venture, a true microcap which provides an ecosystem for consumers, providing them with the ability to view, edit, opt out, and be compensated for the use of their data. Shockingly, the shares are up 260% year-to-date, and it's currently trading at $0.09, with a market cap of just over $10 The stock was trading down on a year-to-date basis until the Q2 results were just released. Brett lets you know if there's anything investment-worthy about the business. All right, let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Ready for Halloween? Good. You betcha. Going out trick-or-treating, Brennan? Brett, no. both of you guys, I'm sure. Of course. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, hey. How about you, Ron? I heard you going out as Artie from the Cruella movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, geez, my favorite character, right? No, well, I, my daughter's going out as Cruella, and she picked who I'm going out as, and uh, mom is going out as uh, Cruella's, Cruella's mother. So, uh-huh. Somehow I- I'm not her father. But <laughs> I don't know how that works. Um, well, yes, but he died. So, you know, uh, she's like, I don't uh, want you to be the... There we go. Wow. Actually, <laughs> didn't the... Yes, the father died of grief or something like that. Yeah. 
Is that a spoiler it's a, alert from the movie or no? Well, yeah, let's if if <laughs> you've already heard it, but now yeah. Brad will put in spoiler, spoiler alerts. <laughs> yeah. It's from the relatively new Cruella version movie. So yeah, she's got an awesome costume, black and white wig and all that. Nice. And and yours are going out as uh Harry Potter's I'm Harry thinking Potter. Hermione. Uh Hermione and um Luna? Hermione. Hermione. Both Hermione, Hermione. I love it. Hermione. Twin Hermione. Double Hermione. <laughs> I think double Hermione's, yeah. Double the fun. I don't That's know what awesome. that means. All right. Yeah. So the, I, uh, first, but it's on, not on just Halloween this week. Uh, for us, though, we also have something mm-hmm. else coming up. and even Yeah, we do. But Brennan wanted to do oh, yeah, a little Halloween on, stuff. On the, yeah, sorry. Topic. Aaron's on trying to get preempted. Of, uh, I just don't want to see what Brennan has to show here. No. So. Moving on. You don't. Um, so let me just pull this up real quick. So Please I was do. on, uh, on Instagram and I came across a couple finance memes uh, for Halloween. And of course I wanted to, uh, sh- show them to you guys. Cause I think that they are a little funny. So the first one here, this one investment bankers dressing up as investment bankers for Halloween. So they can tell everyone they work in investment banking. Mm. I find this funny just because, uh, it is, it is classic. I do know some investment bankers and, uh, they love you to like tell that you shower that they're investment bankers. Why is he uh, taking no. a selfie in the bathroom? <laughs> you know, who's taking the uh, picture? I guess that's a, that's a good question. And the next one, this is what I'm going to be going as for Halloween. You know, some a may car? not find this funny. FTX customer deposits. Mm. It's just nothing. Yeah. So you know, some might not find that funny, but uh, I thought it not was the customers. They find that. Not the customers. Offensive of Brennan. Not. And they're after not. you now. Yeah. Wounds they they might not. be healed yet um, so yes it's true it's give true. it more time so sorry for hitting that that and that right now we're all, for anybody who's just viewing this we're looking at a picture of brennan's car so. that's not my car yeah that is um, here so that was no it ferrari that was it that was it oh, so uh well, that was I'm, disappointing. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we were promised you know we said keep it keep it as surprise for us we were promised some f- fireworks there and that kind of just fizzled out. Well, I'm Let's disappointed that you guys are disappointed, but you know, I'm I tried. Brandon, I tried. It was, it was worth, <laughs> worth disappointed as FTX customers. Realistically, yes. I just wanted to call out investment bankers, you know, if, if anything. So yeah. Well, you did such a good job. They're all crying <laughs> at home right now. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, and we, like we said, just quickly, our live DIY investment webinars, building a winning stock portfolio for 2024 AI to electrification and Buffett's great stocks, November 2nd, 7 PM Pacific. That's this week, this Thursday, uh, November 9th, 7 PM Eastern. The first one was Pacific time. Get your tickets there. We also have one on the fifth. I believe it's the fifth, right? Brennan, you'll let me know. Yes. There's your calendar. I just like letting you turn around there. Um, the fifth, and that is for a full fourth. VIP experience. <laughs> what is it, fourth? It's the fourth. So it's the fifth, right? It's the fourth. All right, the fourth. <laughs> That'll be on the fourth, and uh, that's the full VIP experience. And uh, you know, you get your full VIP package. So look into that if you've been listening to us and you're confident in what we're doing in our portfolios for our clients. And uh, and uh, you know, if you want to attend the first one, get to know us a little more. That's for we say individual individuals or families who want to simply learn how to build that fifteen to twenty five stock portfolio. You get seven profitable stocks you can buy today in there as well. All right, let's get on to the show. To, sorry, oh. just to, just to pump a little bit here. Um, you know, if clients or if you would have been a VIP client last year, um, we actually added Hammond Power 
to the VIP portfolio as a high conviction buy for clients. So, you know, you wouldn't have actually had to attend, you know, the webinar where we also recommended it. We also added it to the VIP portfolio. Clients got notification saying, hey, we're adding Hammond Power to uh, the portfolio. It's a high conviction buy. Um, I just wanted to say that as well. So, you know, as a VIP, you do get those notifications is when we're adding, you know, these high conviction buys to the VIP portfolio. Excellent. It's going to launch into Hammond Power. Um, excellent news out from the company again last week. Hammond Power Solutions, symbol HPS.A. Uh, trading at $68 today, uh, $809 million market cap. They have a history that dates back over 100 years. Hammond Power designs and manufactures custom electrical engineered magnetic standard electric dry type, cast resin, and liquid filled transformers. The company offers auto transformers, not Autobots, auto transformers, buck boost transformers, control transformers, distribution transformers, drive isolation transformers, encapsulated transformers, furnace transformers, multi-pulse transformers, pad mounted transformers, regulated transformers, and medium voltage distribution transformers, as well as reactors, active harmonic filters, DVDT filters, and unitized substations. That's a lot of transformers. Essentially, they're a leader in this segment of the market. The company serves the oil and gas, mining, steel, waste, and water treatment, commercial construction, data centers, EV charging, energy storage, solar, and wind power and generation industries. So a great deal of industries, a lot of high-end industries where we see growth right now, and some traditional industries as well. And it's seen growth in both segments of that uh, over the past uh, several years. Hammond Power has manufacturing plants in Canada, the United States, Mexico, and India. The stock is up 244% year to date, 325% from when we recommended it fall webinars in the $16 range last fall, obviously. Uh, the company was also re recommended at $7.28 in 2017. Has gained 836% since that time, but we can trace Hammond right back to original recommendation at 60 cents. It's gained 11,000, over 11,800% since then. What led to the gains over the past week? October 26th of this past week, they reported their Q3 numbers. Record sales, 178 million, up 20.5% versus the prior year. Year to date sales are up 26% to 523 million. Net income was 14.4%. Uh, million. That's 25% increase. Earnings per share were $1.21, significant increase over last year. Year to date, they're $3.65. The order backlog sequentially increased 11%. And year over year, so Q3 uh, 2022 to Q3 2023 was up 40.3%. Now, I'm not going to comment too much about the valuation our, uh, and our current rating on the company. We're going to update clients fully this week on the company because it's an active coverage. But from a valuation perspective, on a trailing basis, despite having those tremendous gains that I talked about, it's trading at 13.74 times trailing earnings. EV to EBITDA is 9.82. The balance sheet is solid with a strong net cash position. Now, Hammond Power is a tremendous overnight success story, about 100 plus years in the making. It's an excellent example of Keystone's discovery type research and what it can bring to a portfolio. Despite the fact that Hammond Power is one of, if not the best performing stock on the entire Toronto Stock Exchange in 2023, not a single analyst covered the stock 
back to 2000 when we recommended again into 2017, not a single analyst was covering it then. And at the start of 2021, when we re-recommended it as a focus buy uh, to our clients and this time last fall when we recommended it, not a single analyst. Um, just now, with the stock up thousands of percent, are we starting to see Bay Street pay attention? Why didn't they pay attention? Well, Hammond has never needed big bank or brokerage money to fund its operations. These are the types of businesses uh, that Bay Street pays little attention to. And it's to the detriment of inv Canadian investor portfolios. Fortunately, our independent research can fill the gap here and provide clients with recommendations on unique underfollowed companies like Hammond Power that should be in a well-designed portfolio. In tough times, like we're seeing currently in the market, investors need these type of tremendous winners in their portfolio more than ever. In our upcoming seminars, we'll show you why and how you can benefit from companies like this in your portfolio. Get a profile of the type of business that Hammond Power is and try to add eight to 12 of those to your portfolio over the next year to year and a half. And that's what we're trying to do when we build client portfolios and make recommendations within those portfolios. All right. That finishes on Hammond Power. Excellent results from last week. Continued growth from the company. And again, our clients will uh, get a full update on this this week. Yeah. And when, when people look at performers like Hammond Power, the the most common question we get is like, well, how do I find the next Hammond Power, right? How do I find mm -hmm. the next Boyd, uh, the next Expel? And, you know, really, it comes down to you, you can never obviously when you're when you're originally recommending a stock, like we don't know for sure how it's going to turn out that it's going to be the next Hammond Power. But what is important is that you're you're sticking with that type of profile of business. And that's what's going to set you up to take advantage of the Hammond Powers when they become available or the Boyds or the X-Bells. And that profile being not following a company, not following the hype or what, you know, people are saying on social media about a company. A lot of these, a lot of times these companies really fall, really fly under the radar. But, you know, a highly profitable business that has a growth strategy and is trading at a reasonable price. Um, you know, a growth strategy that you understand that has a high probability of success, a company that's not over leveraged on debt, not trading at an insane valuation. Like that's the profile of the business that's going to expose you to the Hammond powers in the future. Yeah. And, and I remember uh, quite plainly, cause I've over the last 20 plus years, uh, we've had questions like that. How do I find the next expel? How do I find the next Boyd? How do I find, you know, the, the next, now it's going to be Hammond Power, right? But um, last fall, we were doing in-person webinars and we had uh, clients there saying, that's what we'd like to see. Tell me which will be the next stock in your portfolio or, or that you think is out there right now that'll be the next Boyd, for example, at 10,000%. Well, I, you know, all we have to do is answer honestly on that. We don't know which stock will be the next Expel or the next Boyd or Hammond Power. But what we do know is, like Aaron said, there's a profile of stock that we can add to our portfolios. And what I said confidently, I said, one of the companies that is right now a focus buy uh, in our portfolio, in the Canadian small cap or the VIP portfolio, um, you know, that's where we think the next great growth stock will come from because that's, that's where it's come from in the past. That's the type of profile of businesses that we're trying to add. So that's why you need you know, 15 to 25 of these in your portfolio. Now, they're all not going to fit that criteria. Some of them are there for income and growth. Some of them are there for just growth. Some of them have both. But, you know, if 10 of those stocks fit that criteria of those, say, 20 to 25 stocks, you have the chance 
of hitting the next Hammond power and that can really change your portfolio. And that's again, at this time last year or in two years ago, when we did those as well in person, you know, Hammond power is trading between seven and $16 and even, you know, from 800% in your portfolio that can really help change your portfolio. So that's what we're looking for. You don't know the exact stock. That's why you're not buying one. If we knew it was going to be Hammond power this time last year, ten, five years ago, 10 years ago, we just buy one stock and that would be an easy way to all become millionaires, right? Easily done. You can't do that, but you can buy a profile of like Aaron said, 10 stocks within that, uh, 20 to 25 stock portfolio. And, uh, then you have a chance of Hammond powers, the Hammond powers of the world. When they come along, they don't come along often, but making a meaningful impact. The other thing is structuring your portfolio properly. When we talk about that in our webinars, if you own 150 stocks or hundred or 50 or, or 250 or 300, you can have Hammond Power in your portfolio, but it won't make it that much of a meaningful difference that if, if it is one of 15 or 25 stocks in a portfolio, then it really becomes meaningful in terms of its impact on your portfolio. And that's why we try to structure or at least educate investors to structure their portfolio. Uh, so a stock like Hammond Power can have a meaningful impact. You can't have hundreds of stocks in your portfolio for that to really make a difference. All right, let's move on. McDonald's Corporation, MCD. Unless you guys had something else to say. Uh, nope. Not surprising, is it? Jesus. All right, I'm just kidding. <laughs> McDonald's Corporation, MCD on the New York Stock Exchange. Aaron took a look at their Q3 results released today. They increased their dividend 10%. He's going to let you know what he thought. Right. So McDonald's, obviously, this is a staple business, a company that needs no introduction, but we'll introduce it anyways. Uh, the it's probably not the next Hammond Power right now. Probably not the next company yeah. to produce a 2 to 300% return, but uh, Very certainly stable. a business worth looking at. As Ryan said, strong Q3 results today. We're going to take a look at those, a 10% dividend increase. Um, so McDonald's Corporation, the symbol is MCD. Trades at $260 per share. It's about $190 billion market cap. And they are the largest restaurant owner operator in the world. Uh, 40,000, over 40,000 restaurants in 119 countries. So in terms of performance, if we look at the company's performance over the last 10 years, uh, pretty impressive stock price up about 160% or so over that period of time. Over the last year, less impressive Um quite a bit of volatility and a, a fairly big or moderately large decline from July um, until just recently it started to trend back up again. But the Q3 results came out today. Uh, they were received relatively well from the market. Uh, let's take a look here. So revenues were 6.7 billion approximately, up 14% year over year. Uh, they produced comparable same restaurant sales growth of 8.8%. That's compared to 9.5% in the third quarter of last year. Operating income, $3.2 billion, uh, up 16%. And earnings per share, $3.17, up 18%. Just taking a look through the conference call and the press release, there are a few, uh, few notes from management that uh, were worth highlighting. Uh, one is that comparable sales growth was primarily the result of price increases. Um, so the company the company has been increasing prices um, due to inflationary pressures. Uh, we did not see a significant increase in the number of stores. Um, and as well, the revenue growth beyond 
um, the same store sales growth was primarily then the result of currency exchange. So we're looking at, at, at performance mostly being propped up here by price increases and not an expansion in the size of the, the, the network or anything else. Um, margins do remain under pressure due to continued cost inflation. So that's an issue looking forward. And the company believes that there are macro headwinds that are going to continue to persist into the fourth quarter. And they plan to help their franchisees with this, which they believe will impact their full year results by about 100 to 150 million. Uh, they did note that strong Q3 results should provide a positive tailwind for the full year of 2023. Now, what I read out of this is that likely they're expecting Q4 results to be a little bit weaker if they're highlighting that Q3 is going to prop up the year. Um, but certainly it's it's not a situation where, you know, yeah, they put out a strong Q3 report, but it's not a situation where the outlook is is necessarily found fantastic. Looks like there are several headwinds that are continuing to face the company. Uh, balance sheet uh, about forty-eight billion in debt, two point two billion in cash, negative equity. So you know, negative equity is a tough one to look at. It's these are accounting items, but at the same time, you don't want to see negative equity on a company's balance sheet, ideally. So the equity being the assets minus the liabilities, and what this is basically saying is that the liabilities are more than the assets, and the shareholders don't own anything. Now, the real value of the assets um, may not be what they are recorded at on the balance sheet, especially in the case of McDonald's, where a lot of the value is going to be just in the brand. Uh, so the way accounting treatments work, we might not look at the equity and, and think that that's necessarily a reliable figure minus 5 billion, but it's still not, not an ideal situation to look at a company's balance sheet and see a negative value on the shareholders equity line. Um, but just in terms of the, the debt leverage for the company on a net debt to a jet, to EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA basis, trading just under four times. Uh, you know, I would consider that to be fully leveraged. I mean, this is a restaurant business. It's fairly capital intensive. So we would expect to see higher balance sheet leverage in a case like that. I don't think that their balance sheet is over leveraged. It's nothing that I'm like considering really concerned about. Um, but at the same time, I don't see a lot of room to increase the leverage ratio from here. And then looking at the future growth based on analyst estimates um, as well as valuation. So analysts on average are estimating about 1091 per share in earnings for the current year uh, and that growing to 1170 next year. So 8% earnings per share growth this year, 7.2% earnings per share growth next year. And the stock trading at 24 times current year's expected earnings, 22 times next year's expected earnings. So when we look at the average price to earnings multiple of McDonald's going back for about a decade, the, the P ratio is really averaged in that 20 to 22 times. But I found that, you know, it's it's really been the last five years that it's it's been increasing. So um, the, the trend is that the valuation has become more expensive over the past decade. But right now, you know, we're, we're more or less sitting at about the average um, maybe a little bit more expensive than the average. Another thing I wanted to do is just take a look at how the company's historical growth rate has looked going over the last 10 years. And, you know, here we we really don't see um, a, a really clear uh, growth trend. Um, you know, certainly there's been a little bit of growth over the last couple of years, um, but revenues were largely in decline from 2013 to 2020. Then we've seen some recovery since then, fairly flat revenue uh, last year in 2022 compared to 2021. And then we've got, we had some good revenue growth in the quarter, but it's not a situation where this is a company that is 
is putting out consistent growth and revenue really even at a low level. Um, so that's something to consider. Uh, our take on the company, you know, the fact that it is an extremely strong brand, um, that gives it some value right there. I think that it's it's a reasonably defensive business being in the fast food space. Fast food restaurants are generally thought of as being um, defensive businesses and more insulated from an economic slowdown. And this largely has to do with a, a low cost to calorie, calorie ratio of their food. So you, you get a lot of bang from your buck from a calorie perspective when you buy fast food. Uh, they've shown ability to pr- pass price increases on to customers. So that's, uh, that's impressive as well. Um, but, you know, there's, it's, it is a very mature business. L- there's really a lack of sustained long-term revenue growth. We're not seeing a significant expansion in the number of restaurants in the network. We're not seeing significant same-store sales growth outside of price increases. So that's something to consider. Uh, balance sheet, not ideal. I don't think that it's a, it's a horrible balance sheet, certainly not on a leverage ratio basis. Um, but you know it's it's not perfectly clean either. So our take on the company, it's 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 a solid business. We believe largely should produce stable performance. Um, they are a dividend payer, pay about two point eight percent yield right now. Grew their dividend at ten percent. So there's some value there long term in the business, uh, but we think that it's fairly valued in the near term. So yeah, I've actually brought this quote up a, a few times, but you know, just like seeing the valuation there that you have, Aaron, and like lack of you know long term growth really that we're seeing right now. So it's twenty five times earnings, uh, roughly correct, or it was twenty four, twenty five about twenty four times, times current years dropping to you know twenty two next year. You know, and this is a quote that I brought up on the podcast before, um, but you know, Peter Lynch uses uh, an example where he says, you know, wonderful companies become risky investments when people overpay for them, um, and he you know talks about basically McDonald's as an example where in nineteen seventy two the stock was bid up to about fifty times earnings. And he says, you know, with no way to live up to these expectations uh, for growth, the price fell from, you know, $75 to about $25 per share, which, you know, he indicated at that time was a great opportunity to buy at a more realistic 13 times earnings. Now, of course, you know, that's all the way back in 1972. Um, I'm guessing probably less mature, better growth back then. That might have been what a lot of the excitement was about. Exactly. So... You know, seeing that they're at that, you know, 25 times kind of, you know, in between that 50 and 13 times growth is, is you know, it's mature. Um, it's more of a dividend payer. The leverage is high. I would definitely agree with, you know, your conclusion there that it's trading closer to fair value. In the I would say term. fair value right now. I mean, it's not yeah. I, I wouldn't consider an, an obscene valuation, but I don't look at that valuation and see, especially given the fact that, you know, revenue growth hasn't really been that impressive historically over the past 10 years. Um, you know, in addition to that, the company's talking about headwinds as well. So, you know, if this were a company that was growing their revenues and their earnings at 10% um, fairly consistently, then I would, I would be, you know, more inclined to think that was a good valuation. But Yeah. And like, if you look back 10 years ago, they did, uh, was it 28 billion in revenues and they did 23 on a trailing uh, basis. So they're actually down as yeah. far as I understand yeah, in yeah. terms of, uh, revenues over the past 10 years. I think we got a question on them in last week's, uh, client chat and, and they, they, it was a comparison between them and PepsiCo actually, but, um, you know, not direct comparables, but kind of iconic brands for sure. 
and Pepsi itself had grown over that period from 66 billion to 91 billion in terms of revenues. And you were paying roughly a similar multiple, I believe, for the two. So better growth over the longer term, particularly in terms of revenues. And uh, I thought they were paying relatively similar dividends. So, uh, you know, cursory overview, you know, although I think McDonald's has accelerated its growth a little bit in recent years, has it not, Aaron, in the last couple of years? Well, the last couple of years, the growth was was better and then this year but is it coming of off a pandemic growth, low or you know yeah, i'm not this yeah, year the so. the the um revenue growth has been good but there there are the margin pressures so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. so i mean there probably are some better options potentially at lower valuation i mean iconic brand you know is there continued expansion across the globe probably but you know they've hit Certainly over the past 10 years, they haven't been able to grow. So are they going to be able to grow? They're fighting also against health trends, you would think, too, as well. So that, that is one uh, totally. issue uh, globally for the company. Interesting. Now, we can move on to uh, who's our next one? Mark Cuban, I believe. Uh, Brennan, your idol. Oh, I thought right? Mark Cuban was going to present something. Uh, sorry. Uh, yes. I am. We refused his request. Yes, so. we did. But no, not my idol. If anything, you know, I kind of, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Mark Cuban. And the reason being Whoa. is just when he's on Carving Shark Tank, Cuban. I hate that he like tries to like big dog sometimes and just, you know, opens up his, his pocketbook and just way out bids just to, you know, show, hey, I'm look at me, I'm the billionaire. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you'd I rather him look at it just on valuations, right? Man, that makes sense. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, I thought that I would uh, dig into him because I recently listened to, to him on a podcast, and I heard him, you know, kind of make some good comments about how he's lucky that he's a billionaire because of you know how things transpired. Mark Cuban is an entrepreneur. Uh, he first started Micro Solutions, which is a uh, computer consulting service business in 1983, uh, which he sold to CompuServe for six million in 1990, and following his exit. Uh, Mark decided to buy an American Airlines Unlimited Air Pass, and he traveled the world and partied like a degenerate, he says. Um, but in 1995, he and his business partner, uh, Todd Wagner, founded Broadcast.com, which was the first internet radio streaming company, which got him to his billionaire status when he sold to Yahoo in 1999 at the peak of the dot-com bubble. And I'll go into a little bit of a case study uh, into that in, in a bit here. Now, he also started Cost Plus Drugs in 2016, uh, 2016, which aims to make pharmaceutical drugs more affordable for Americans by pricing them with a flat 15% fee on top of the wholesale prices. Um, so that's actually, you know, something interesting that he's doing. And one thing that he said on the podcast is, you know, years before it was always, you know, people would approach him in the street wow, I saw you on Shark Tank. You're awesome. Well, now it's kind of shifted where people are coming up to him and saying, Wow, I was paying $2,000 for this cancer drug. I'm now paying, you know, $20 for it. Thank you so much. Uh, So that's an an interesting thing that he's doing. And then other than being an entrepreneur, uh, Mark is well known for being an investor and TV personality on Shark Tank. And of course, is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, which he purchased in 2000. Um, And if you actually go to his website, markcubancompanies.com, you can actually see all of his private investments uh, there. And according to Forbes, in 2023, his net worth was approximately $4.6 billion. So looking at a few of his publicly traded investments, which he disclosed, 
Uh, he indicated that Netflix and Amazon are two of his largest stock holdings and that he likes both because of their artificial intelligence capabilities. And in 2021, he stated that he believes Netflix and Amazon will outperform the S&P 500 over the following 10-year period. So we'll see if uh, he is right about this, uh, you know, moving forward. Um, he also invested heavily in Twitter before it was eventually uh, bought out and taken private by Elon Musk. And Mark has been very critical of Musk as he believes that Twitter, or now called X, is much worse now uh, with more bots and trolls on the platform than ever before. Uh, Mark's also invested in cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other stable coins. Uh, and I think that this is actually pretty interesting. Mark actually uh, got about $870,000 stolen from him uh, or hacked from him uh, from his crypto wallet when he accidentally downloaded a fraudulent version of MetaMask, which is one of the most common crypto wallet managers. Uh, so they, of course, got his login information and that money's gone. Uh, so that's too bad, but uh, just kind of a, a public service announcement. Make sure that you're downloading the right app and it's not a fraudulent one. Uh, and lastly, uh, just looking at the Dallas Mavericks here, given a $3.3 billion fair value estimate from Statista, uh, Mark has done quite well with his investment in the Dallas Mavericks uh, NBA team, which he purchased for uh, $285 million in 2000. So now I kind of want to switch gears here and look at the case study of how Mark got to his billionaire status during the dot-com bubble. Uh, so as I mentioned previously, uh, Mark started Broadcast.com uh, back in 1995 with his friend Todd Wagner uh, when they realized that they were unable to watch or listen to the Indiana basketball games. Uh, so they had the idea to disrupt broadcasting by streaming content online. And as you can see here, I've got the financial statements from uh, or the annual financial statements from 1996, 1997 and 1998 here uh, up on the screen. Uh, the company's revenues were growing at a good pace, generating about $22.4 million in revenue in 1998. But the company was losing money hand over fist with a net operating loss of $18 million and an earnings per share loss of $0.52 cents per share for the year. Now, despite the company, uh, you know, or despite this, sorry, uh, the company went public in July of 1998 at a price of $18 per share. And it quickly became known as one of the most high-flying IPOs in the history of the stock market as the stock soared 250% to about $63 on the first trading day. And up to this time, no other stock in history had ever rose so sharply on its first day of trading. And of course, we're excluding penny stocks there. So under one year later, at the tippity top of the tech bubble on April 1st of 1999, Yahoo purchased Broadcast.com for $5.7 billion in Yahoo stock, which equates to a price to sales multiple of well over 200 times sales. Uh, and as you can see here, uh, the Schiller PE, which I have up on the screen here, its highest ever point took place just a few months after this acquisition was announced in December of 1999. So again, Yahoo literally made this purchase months before the stock market valuations were about to collapse. And if we look at what Yahoo was trading at during this dot-com mania, uh, at this market valuation peak in December of 1999, Yahoo was trading with a whopping PE multiple of over a thousand times. 
but yet analysts were justifying the premium. And as you can see here from this article on CNN Money from uh, December 7th of 1999, uh, this individual is justifying this premium here. Now, luckily, Mark, who had received Yahoo shares, understood that he better hedge the potential downside risk of Yahoo stock. So he worked with Goldman Sachs to craft a caller trade where he bought put options to protect the downside and sold call options to offset the cost of the puts, but also which limited further upside if Yahoo climbed higher. And luckily for him, this hedge ended up saving him his $1.4 billion. So that's kind of the case study. Now, I'm just going to go over and finish with a few quotes from Cuban here. Uh, number one. Uh, he says, now, when we got Brad broadcast.com going, if the internet stock market hadn't been insane and been this big bubble, I wouldn't have made as much money. Now, like I was saying earlier, generally, I see Mark as a bit of an arrogant or brash individual sometimes, but I like that he is honest here and clearly understands that he wouldn't have become a billionaire or most likely wouldn't have been become if it wasn't for some dumb luck involved with the timing of the tech bubble. Uh, number two, don't be afraid to make mistakes. I learned some expensive lessons when I first started trading stocks. It was painful, but I tried to learn what I got right and wrong. And, you know, I've brought this up before. I, I think that journaling is important. Uh, your trades are at least kind of looking back at what you've done, what worked, what didn't work. Um, because again, I think that it's important to learn from your mistakes in the stock market. We're all going to make them, uh, but it's crucial to look at your past actions. Now, number three, I like this quote uh, because it's right in line with Keystone's philosophy on the uh, broken model where big bank advisors and analysts typically over diversify their clients in hundreds or thousands of stocks in fee heavy portfolios. So he says the number one job of the hedge fund manager is not to make sure that you can retire with a smile on your face. It's for him to retire with a smile on his face. And last but not least, he says, in my opinion, right now, there's way too much hype on the technologies and not enough attention to the real businesses behind them. You know, I thought that I would end with this quote as at the end of the day, just like Yahoo paying over 200 times sales for broadcast.com, there was way too much hype on the new technologies of the internet and not enough focus on the real fundamentals of the business behind them. It's really good. Uh, really good job you did there. I actually found that Thank interesting. You. There's a lot that. I mean, I obviously I, I've, I've watched a fair bit of Shark Tank as well. So I know Mark Cuban from that. Um, but I there's a lot that I learned about him there. So and certainly he was lucky. The timing was lucky. But, you know, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Right. So he, mm -hmm. he went out there. He started up a business, happened to be in an ideal time. Um, but when you look at guys like um, like Cuban, you know, I think he had said before, had he not start had he not been born and at a certain age had he not been at that age starting his businesses at that time and been lucky he we would probably not have been a billionaire but he still would have been a successful business person yeah yeah he still i think he funded and kept broadcast.com alive he funded about a million into it so if he didn't have a million burning hole in his jeans to be able to do that at that time he wouldn't have been able to do it so uh, it is I did find it revealing that you called the market at a tippity top too, Brennan. Mm -hmm. So thank, thanks yeah. for the tippity top <laughs> reference yeah, tippity there. Top. But but no, I, I think I think it had a hundred broadcast.com at that point in 1999 had about a hundred million in revenues, not okay, profitable. So it, was, 
Yeah. And went for about 57 times revenues at 5.7 billion. And, um, you know, like paying 5.7 billion for something that never made a dime in profit and just bled cash flow. Yep. That could only happen at one other time. So definitely lucky. But like Aaron said, he probably would have made probably not the capital that he made, the roughly $2 billion that his stake in that uh, was, uh, which allowed him then to you know buy the Dallas Mavericks and have a tremendous, uh, tremendously strong investment in that company. But um, yeah, it, uh, a confluence of factors has to occur for you to get that much wealth in one pop. And uh, the markets had to be going insane. And he had to make that smart move uh, with the options because he got shares, as I understand, right? Yeah, it was just shares. Correct. If he did not make that, Yahoo, if you look at the share price of Yahoo after, plummeted like precipitously, yeah. really. And uh, with the smart move there, probably got good advice from someone. Maybe he knew to make that move himself. But, you know, if I was getting one point something billion in a company that had a Yahoo itself uh, didn't have the greatest history of uh, revenue. I mean, there was revenue growth, but the, the profitability was lacking, right? So like you're, you're getting that. I'd be happy with that money. If there's any way and some financial uh, advisor or something told me I could just save, you know, I could lock in that level of profit, basically. You do that in a heartbeat. And uh, he listened and didn't, you know, go for, I'm going to get 10 billion. You yeah, know, exactly. like, I'm just going to keep it in here and make 10 billion. I think the 1.7 was a good enough start for him. And I think it's so interesting, too, that, you know, as he was hedging, you know, potentially predicting that, you know, maybe the stock market or Yahoo's price would fall. You know, you have this analyst, this uh, Schroeder analyst, Arthur Newman, who was increasing his price target at this time, literally at so when the market that, was at the yeah. tippity top. Well, he was probably you doing know. financings for Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he's, yeah, exactly. Or hope to be, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, or or his, his firm was. Covering them and yeah. hoping to do it. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of the way the industry works that people don't talk about a lot. But All right, let's move on from the opposite end of billions right down to Reclaim MYID on the TSX Venture. Brett's going to look at this. We got a viewer question on the company, a true microcap uh, trading for true pennies at the start of this year has moved up. We'll see if there's any, you know, anything significant backing. It's an interesting business they're in. So if there's anything backing those, um, the, the move in the stock. Yeah. So I'll get into it. Reclaim symbol MYID or MyID trading on the TSX venture provides an ecosystem for consumers providing them with the ability to view, edit, opt out, and be compensated for the use of their data. Reclaim aspires to be the destination that consumers visit to reclaim control of their online data. The shares are up roughly 206% year-to-date, currently trading about $0.09 cents a share, with a market cap of just over $10 million Canadian. The stock is really trading down on the year until its Q2 results, down or flat, I should say. But zooming out, the stock is still substantially, substantially lower than its pandemic high of 72 cents. Even after that jump in Q2, it's still just a fraction of what it was during that pandemic mania. So looking at the last quarter, the company had an all-time revenue of just over a million dollars for the quarter, a 62% increase year over year, which 93% of that is classified as recurring revenue, which is always a good thing to see when you're seeing recurring revenue. The company's gross margin improved to 80% from 71%. 
the company did post its first positive earnings of 255000 driven by its revenue growth as well as cost reductions in its operating expenses. As the company really streamlined its infrastructure and removed a high-cost data vendor, which it was previously purchasing from, which saved them about, I think it was about 250000 just from that change. Going forward, the company expects tailwinds from increased data privacy laws, putting requirements on data collection, which they navigate through. So a promising quarter as far as the income statement. However, the balance sheet's a different story. At the end of the quarter, the company held cash of 190000 with debt of $1.1 million, resulting in a net debt position of about 900000 Majority of the debt is based of on convertible debentures with a significant effective interest rate of 21.9% at the time of issuance. The company did announce another conversion of this debentures on the 24th of October, of which was of $100,000, which I believe was the remainder of the debentures held by the CEO, Neil Sweeney, as he was one of the two major parties that purchased the debentures initially. So likely just working out the math, he had 100000 left. You see a news release for $100,000 being converted. Put two and two together, he's likely converted his entire position to shares. So past direct debt, the company has had significant accounts payable of about $2 million at the end of the quarter, but reached a settlement after the end of the quarter to lower its accounts payable both by 500000 as they disagreed with what they were billed for. And obviously, they were correct. It didn't say they were they paid anything for it. So likely it was just written off or just completely uh, incorrect invoicing. Using that figure, the company does have a current ratio of about 0.7, which is not good. And it indicates the company may need to raise more cash in the near future. However, management does claim in their Q2 earning calls that it, they do not expect to need to raise more capital at this time as they believe they were able to fund the company's expenses with operating cash flows going forward. But cash management is obviously a significant risk at this time. A quick look at the company's share structure as it has either used direct equity or convertibles to fund the company over the past few years. Over the past 12 quarters, so three years, the company's outstanding shares have increased from 52 million to 112 million. So significant dilution to say the least. Potentially as well, there is more dilution on the way, even if they don't need to raise more capital as they have remaining convertible debentures outstanding. The exact dilution depends on this stock's price at the time, but at the current nine cents, you'd be looking at about 11 million more shares, 10% or so more dilution at any time potentially. So our take, it is a good thing to see that they're shifting into profitability, especially with the recurring nature of their revenue. But the company is just teetering on that edge of needing to dilute more. And if anything interrupts the profitability, whether it's management's fault or something completely external, they would likely need to dilute or raise some sort of debt, which in this their case would likely be more convertible debt. So going forward, we would like to see continued profitability with positive cash flows, able to pay down their debt and improve their working capital to de-risk the balance sheet. Right now, it's just quite risky with where their balance sheet is positioned and you're even though they do believe that they will be profitable going forward, you can't really base that on one quarter because if anything does happen, obviously that would completely derail the company and the management's expectations. So for now, we'll just continue to monitor the stock. Yeah, it's yeah, wild. I, I, or you sorry, go you go, you go. Canadian standoff. Okay, I'll, I'll go. Um, it, it's crazy that they're paying, what was it, 22% interest on their debt and it's convertible debt? I mean, usually yeah. converts... 
or you know you'll pay a lower interest rate usually or generally because it's giving the bondholder i believe you know, it was a 12 percent coupon on the face and then the effective was the 21.9 oh, okay i yeah. see i see makes sense yeah, no, it's interesting to see them move into profitability. Sometimes when you look at these companies, though, you know, we look at the shares outstanding just to see in terms of revenue on a per share basis what they're doing. There's about 111 million shares outstanding here. So they did a, roughly a million something in revenue in the last quarter. Like mm-hmm. for them, to like it's pretty decent profit margin that they made off that to do about 200 something thousand in uh, income. Uh, but like what we'd like to see this company is doing like a million in net income to give it like a, a cent in a quarterly basis and then, you know, start to grow from there. Um, you know, it's just it's 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 a fraction of a, a cent that they're doing, like 0.02 of a cent or something in that range. Right. It's they, they really when you uh, don't mind the store in terms of your capital structure, uh, you really have to accelerate revenues they did tremendous growth in revenue 60 percent, like you said they likely have to take revenues up to 5 10 million on a quarterly basis to start churning out uh great earnings uh that would actually power the stock forward uh sometimes you know you might see a rollback in terms of the shares of, of a company like this and then if the share comes back again and they continue to grow it might be something that we'd look at but uh you know they've obviously been funding operations through issuance of shares um, now hit a point where potentially they can grow the business, uh, minding the store in terms of uh, your capital structure on the way uh, along the business path is something we see companies lacking in uh, many times. You see a company finally break into profitability, but they have 250, 300 million shares out and they can hardly eke out a quarter of a cent or 0.3 of a cent in a quarterly basis. It just you're fighting against it all the way because a lot of analysts won't look at a company trading in the 10 cent range or even 50 cent range or even dollar range. Right. So uh, sometimes you have to see a rollback and then, you know, will that cycle continue is the question going forward. You know, if you can then continue profitability from that point, but you know, when we go through and right now we're going through uh, every company in Canada on CDAR, one of the things we see is, Oh, this business looks interesting. Maybe they're trading in the 50 cent range, but then you see they have 500 million shares out and they're doing 2 million on a quarterly basis in terms of revenue and the profits maybe 100 or 200,000 on a per share basis. The cash flow just isn't there to support that much higher price often in those businesses. Plus the debt structure on that side of the business. You know, this person, this company has been net debt. So you got to watch all of those things. It's tough being a public company, but uh, the ones that do it right, you know, can really lead to great gains. The ones that do it poorly, it's not going to happen for those businesses. All right. I think that's going to end our show. Is there anything else? We look forward to seeing everybody, anybody who wants to come to our events this Thursday. Uh, It's at 7 p.m. Pacific time. And then next Thursday on the 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Love to see you there. Seven stocks that we're going to recommend that fit, you know, the profile that we've been talking about on the show today. As always, if you're viewing this right now, smash that subscribe button. If you are uh, just listening to this on iTunes, then uh, you can uh, rate and review us on there. Only positive reviews as always. And as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.